Welcome to Modern Sign Books on Blog Talk Radio. If you're interested in what makes your favorite authors and collectors tick, then you'll love hearing what they have to say in our live interviews. Learn how they got started writing, the books and authors that inspired them, what they have in their personal collections, and much more. Meet today's hottest authors as they discuss their life and writing in revealing conversations with our book specialist, Roger Nichols. And find us at modernsignbooks.blogspot.com. Now sit back and enjoy a few minutes with Modern Sign Books. Here's Roger. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. You know, they don't call them Renaissance men much anymore, but in Michael McGarity's case, they ought to. You know him best as the author of the many modern westerns set in New Mexico and featuring law enforcement officer Kevin Kearney, but that's far from all. Just to give you an idea how broad his interests are, in 1980 he was named New Mexico Social Worker of the Year, 1987 honored as Santa Fe's Police Officer of the Year, in 2004 received New Mexico Governor's Award for Excellence in the Arts for Literature. And during the time as Deputy Sheriff of Santa Fe County, he founded their Sex Crimes Unit. In addition to law enforcement work, he's been an investigator and a caseworker for the New Mexico Public Defender's Office. He's taught at several colleges and universities. He's published a number of articles as a social worker. And this year, he celebrates two decades as a full-time writer. His latest work is The Last Ranch, the final volume in a trilogy that began with New York Times best-selling Hard Country and sequel Backlands, tracing the history of the Kearney family in New Mexico since 1875. We're delighted to have him with us today. Good morning, sir. Thank you very much, but I do have to correct you a little bit. My yeah. first books weren't Westerns, they were crime novels. They just happened to be set in the West. That was a question I was going to ask you. Uh, several references cited them as Westerns, but uh, uh, I'm happy to have that correction. Thank you. Yeah, and they're even uh, calling the uh, trilogy Westerns, too. And, and I, uh, I've argued my case that basically uh, it's historical fiction set in the West, and there's a mm-hmm. difference because a lot of people shy away from what they think are uh, uh, odors or, or uh standardized uh, uh, Western fare when it comes to reading. And I would hate to lose readers just on the basis of, of their being misinformed that, uh, that these are just formula Westerns because they're far from it. No, oh, absolutely. No, this, this is uh, the words used by some of the critics to describe it are sweeping, vast family uh, trilogy. And this is, this is a book with a lot going on in it. This, I've only read the particular final one here, and I will confess to that up front. But you know what you've done now. You've made me got to, I've got to go back and get the other two and get the whole thing done. So thank you for that. I do. Well, you know, one of the interesting offshoots of this whole process, having switched from writing crime fiction to writing historical fiction, is that it's kind of cross-pollinated uh, a readership out there that uh, people who love historical fiction and have started in on hard country and backlands have now jumped back to my earlier titles and started reading reading those. So uh, it's really, in a way, been a, a, a interesting to see how it's it's broadened the readership base for my earlier work. Well, and I and I can see why because after having seen how thoroughly and diligently you work on this stuff, I. It's like potato chips. You can't eat just one. I want a lot more. So I, I think. <laughs> well, I, I understand that. Thank you. That's a great analogy. Uh, thank you. Well, um, there's so many themes in this. 
One of the things that jumped out at me, and this may be of context because of your background on multiple sides of uh, law enforcement and public defenders, at one point, uh, Matt Kearney says, right or wrong isn't always about what the law or some judge says it is. Well, I think anybody with any common sense or any experience living in the world knows that that's true. Uh, you know, there are, there are a lot of situations that <clears throat> put you on the wrong side of the law, uh, but still, when you think about it, uh, there's, there's a need to, to be on the wrong side of the law, and in some cases it can be something as simple as, as self-preservation. So uh, I think Matt's comment is something that resonates uh, for many of us, if not for all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that leads me into your research on these. Uh, I've read in one of the interviews you did that uh, many of the things that you used as primary sources were uh, privately published books in small research collections in the Southwest, and that hunting it is almost as much fun as finding it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just amazing to walk into a, a, a bookstore somewhere and find a, a, a little self-published volume by a, a ranch woman who recounts having married a cowboy during World War II and uh, had moved to a ranch after being nothing more than a school teacher and a city girl. And all that she had to learn and all that she had to go through uh, to find out what it meant to be a rancher's wife. And when you find little jewels like that, uh, they're, they're so informative uh, to, your, to my writing uh, that you just have to dig in and, and, and use as much material as you can uh, for, your, for your own storytelling. And it's just a wonderful way to make the historical perspective of what you're trying to put on the page uh, much more intimate and much more personal. You know, there's global history, there's world history, and that sort of has this huge generalized sweep. But all of us live through that in a very idiosyncratic, very personal way. And that's the kind of primary material that I loved to find because I think it help bring the stories to life a little bit more fully. And that's the, the, the beauty of this book, is that it feels that way. Um, it, it feels rich and, and real and detailed. I, there's this quality where you know there's a lot more to the story than what's being put down on the page. It has that backstory, wonderful richness to it. Well, you know, it, the characters have a way of coming to life on their own uh, for me after I've sort of gotten uh, the basics down. Uh, they, be, they begin to take on uh, a personality all of their own. I mean, uh, take, for example, in The Last Ranch, the character of Patrick Kearney, who's Matthew's father. Uh, when you meet him, actually the two characters that go throughout the entire trilogy, uh, the only two characters, I believe, that are in the entire trilogy uh, from start to finish... Uh, are uh, Patrick and Matthew. So when you first meet Patrick uh, in Volume 1 in, in Hard Country, uh, he's not a likable guy. Uh, he's not a likable kid. I mean, he's a, he's a, a character who, who came out of total adversity and grew up to be suspicious and mistrustful and, and unwilling to accept affection 
and uh, a loner in many ways and very, very shut down in many ways. And he remains that way uh, throughout most of the three books. But two things I had to deal with here. One was putting a, a character on the page who, by his, by his personality and nature, wasn't very appealing and still making him somebody that readers were willing to follow along with mm -hmm. and try to get to know a little bit better. And then the second point was to see a place where he could begin to transform and become a little bit more human, a little bit more likable, if you will. And, and that was a process over uh, hundreds of thousands of words to, to get from that one point to the other through the three books. And it, it, it's, it's heartening to watch in this final volume how the, the thaws, basically, uh, and it's, it's uh, adding the feminine uh, touch in one way and another. It's adding additional people who care about him and lets him give back some of that. I think you're right, and, and when you talk about the, t the, the feminine touch, one of the things that I'm most proud of in all three of these books is uh, the, the female characters in the story. They play a central, prominent role in, in the lives and times of this family. Uh, they're, they're strong, they're willful, they're purposeful, uh, they are uh, people of consequences and of, of value. And, and uh, it was really an exciting journey for me uh, to find a way to portray them so that they would have sort of a universal appeal. Uh, uh, the other thing that I wanted to avoid when I embarked on this is I wanted to avoid every possible cliche of the typical Western odor. Uh, I just didn't want to play any of those hands. I didn't want uh, one thing in, in, in these three books that was formula fiction from either some Hollywood movie or an adaption of a Western book or uh, a Zane Gray uh, novel or any of that. I just wanted them to be basically filled with as many true-telling events and truthful characterizations as I could possibly create and put on the page. And I, and I think I've been able to do that. In fact, I... I put out a challenge to readers to, uh, if they can, uh, find a cliché, uh, a Western novel cliché in these books, and then let me know about it, because I'd really like to have a dialogue if somebody, if somebody can do that, because I don't think there is one. Well, I, I thought of one, but it's a backwards cliché. Um, uh, Mary becomes a school marm, but she's not one at the beginning. <laughs> Okay, well, I don't, I don't know whether that, I, I would have to give that some serious thought, because uh, uh, after all this, uh, she becomes a school teacher in the 1950s. Yeah. Now, I don't think that qualifies for being a, a school mom in a, a three-room schoolhouse somewhere on the frontier. <laughs> I just had to bring that up. I'm sorry to right. do that. Okay, but that, right. that was great. Um, there's so many things to talk about. There are a number of themes in this that I pulled out of as I was reading. I, you know, I take lots of notes, and so I have this whole bunches of them. It takes me a long time to type them up. But one of the themes that I drew is that it feels like real life in that there are stops and starts, and there 
there's there are characters that don't have a through line through the whole thing. They, they appear and are there for a while and then disappear. And that happens to us in real life as well. That's right. That's exactly the point I would make if you hadn't made it yourself. Uh, uh, people come and people go. Uh, and sometimes they return and sometimes they don't. I mean, uh, one of the things that you have to understand is that some of the characters in the, in the trilogy are, are based on real people. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, Bill Malden, the famous World War II yes. cartoonist, uh, who created Willie and Joe and won a Pulitzer Prize while he was still serving during combat in World War II in the infantry. Uh, uh, he was born, born New Mexico boy. Uh, born on the Tularosa, born in the area exactly where I have these novels set. And to be able to bring him in as a character was, was totally delightful for me. I just, I just felt uh, it made really, really good sense to have, uh, to have him show up and, and be there on the page. Uh, so I was able to draw on some very rich historical characters from the New Mexico past, him, him being one of them, and a more recent one of them. But there were people like uh, uh, Eugene Manlove Rhodes, who a lot of folks know very little about, and yet was, in his day, the best-known and most popular writer of Western novels in the early 20th century, Cowboy on the Tularosa. Again, the home country where these books are set. So having that kind of character resource pool to draw on uh, really made made the books, I think, come alive. At least they have for me. I'll give you an example of trying to avoid the cliché of the typical Western is uh, Billy the Kid shows up in one of these books. Mm. And he's just a passing character. In other words, he's just a person that has an encounter uh, with one of my main characters in the book and goes nearly on his way. You know, he's not Billy the Kid who shot, uh, who shot down people in the Lincoln County Courthouse. And he's, he's not uh, a hero and he's not a villain. He's just Billy the Kid. And, and to be able to do something like that was a lot of fun, too, because it, it runs counter uh, to the whole uh, formulistic uh, notion of what, uh, what the West was. I wanted to portray the West as a place of difficulty and hardship and sacrifice and loss and triumph and love and settling and settlement. And, and uh, that's what I think the characters uh, exhibit throughout, throughout the three books. There's a, a small detail that I think helps that a great deal, and that is a number of the characters have physical disabilities of some sort. Um, I'm thinking of uh, Al Jennings Jr. lost his thumb and forefinger in a roping accident, and Patrick has a gimpy leg, and Matt, of course, is, has is lost wounded his... Wounded in the war, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, overcoming not only uh, the physical ailments, but there are characters who have to overcome uh, great em- emotional trauma, too. Great personal loss, great suffering, uh, in some cases... Uh, uh, severe abuse and neglect, uh, all of these things, uh, I think, are part of the human experience to one degree or another for all of us. I don't know anybody who has managed to uh, get out of life unscathed completely. And if they, if they really seem to be that way, 
I would say to you that I might probably find them very boring. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. There's a, a, a theme of uh, disappointment, loss, and abandonment that runs through this. And I, I, I just was lucky enough to clip two uh, lines here, one from early in the book where Matt says, all the women in his life who cared about him eventually left. And very toward the end, Kevin says, it was as if he was doomed to fall for women who dumped him. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I, well, I, mean, uh, I think um, I think whether it happens in adolescence, whether it happens in adulthood or later in life, uh, uh, the, the travails of love uh, uh, often lead to, uh, at least initially, a disappointment. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't think that's something that is too far from, from anybody's consciousness, probably both for men and women. Uh, we, we've had love, loves that are lost. Uh, I, I remember a, a few from my early youth, and I'm sure everybody has one or two like that. Mm-hmm. And I, again, that that is a, a small detail that makes the characters more real and more rounded and less cartoony than some other people might have done them. So uh, I appreciate those. Um, there's another, I just kept running into insights. I could probably have underlined the whole dang book if I weren't careful. But uh, at one point, you, you point out Patrick got along better with folks who weren't his blood kin. I thought that was a great character description. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, there are those of us uh, out there that are fairly well alienated from their primary families for whatever reason. Uh, and uh, I've had an experience or two like that. And, and uh, I have friends who have had experiences like that. I know people who are not close to their children or their, even their grandchildren. I know uh, folks who've, who've had a very strained relation, strained relationships with, uh, with uh, brothers and sisters or with uh, parents or one of the two parents. So uh, that, that's not something that's far afield from being pretty accurate uh, for a lot of folks. I'm, I'm genuinely impressed when I meet families that seem to be, A, intact, and B, uh, totally uh, compatible and happy with one another. Uh, I think they're more the rarity than than the uh, the norm. Well, as somebody said, you know, you can't pick your family, but you can pick your friends, so maybe maybe make a difference there. Um, One of the things I wanted to point out, since uh, you've come late to this uh, in terms of just this, this last book in the trilogy, is that uh, the whole trilogy uh, is a prequel to my crime novels. Yes. Uh, in other words, uh, in 19, uh, 2008, uh, I stepped away from uh, writing uh, the Kevin Kearney novels and started in on what I thought was going to be a one-book prequel about his earlier life before he t- be- became a police officer and before I introduced him in my debut novel to Larosa. Well... I got halfway into the book, sent the pages off to my editor. He loved them, and I said, Brian, I, I can't do this in one book. This can't be a one-book prequel. Uh, and he said, well, what, what do you think you'd like to do? Would you like to do two? I said, no, I think, I think it really needs to be a, tri- a trilogy. And he, he was so pleased with the, with the material I had sent him <laughs> that he, he just jumped on it. He went for it. He said, okay, let's make it a trilogy. So the trilogy is really the prequel story of Kevin Kearney's ancestors starting from the year 1875 
uh, to the end or close to the end of Vietnam, uh, covering four generations of his family, including his own history as a young boy growing up and going off to serve in the Army, and a uh, hundred years of, of incredible history that overwhelmed the world and the region. Uh, so it was, it, it was a, an enormous undertaking, and, uh, and even when I was working on the last branch, I would dig my heels in and say, now can I really do this? Can I really finish this? Uh, it was just a, a totally, totally overwhelming uh, enterprise that I embarked upon. But what I'm trying to say here is that there's continuity from my debut novel, which came out in April of 1996, Tula Rosa, right up to this present book, The Last Ranch, which is due out in days. Yeah. As, as we record, it's uh, next Tuesday, as I, I think. Yes, uh, you mentioned next Tuesday. Yeah, uh, May 17th, uh, uh, for those who are listening later on. And uh, having the chance to, to read it, uh, an advanced reader's copy, I'm, I'm blown away by this. And I just have to think, the last time you hit the last keystroke, the last mm -hmm. sentence, you had this huge sigh of, my God, I got it done. I did. I did. And the next... Uh, a uh, big smile that came was when the finished book arrived uh, on my doorstep, and I actually held it in my hand and looked at it and said, okay, okay, now it's real. Yeah. And that to me was as, as important a moment as the day I first saw Tularosa in a New York City bookstore window when I was walking down uh, Fifth Avenue on my way to, to meet with my editor. Uh, those are those are moments that uh, never leave you. They're they're important important transitions in, in your in, in my life as a writer. That's 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 fantastic. I I'm going to turn the the corner to something a little more mundane right now and ask you what it is you have against Hot Springs slash Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. Oh, they're going to hate me down there. You know, I have nothing against it at all. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, I I spent an enormous amount of time in. Uh, truth or Consequences, uh, uh, not that very long ago when I was doing investigation work for a state agency, uh, one of the organizations that the state uh, oversaw was down there, uh, an institution, uh, and it was having a lot of trouble uh, in various different ways. And so I was kind of the uh, uh, Johnny-on-the-spot investigator to look into things, and so I was down there constantly. So I got to know the town. It's, it's, I got to hang around and, and, and walk the streets and drive around and poke around. And, uh, you know, it is, it is what it is. It is the city that it is. And in some ways, even the people that live there uh, make, fun of, make fun of their own town. So it, it, but I know, I know I'm going to catch flack uh, when I head down south to do the book tour in New Mexico from people who are going to get on my case for, uh, for not saying very nice things about uh, truth or consequences. I'll tell you a quick story. I, yeah. I, I was doing a book signing in Alamogordo, which is on the other side of the Tularosa Basin from, from truth or consequences, a little further south. And, uh, I was doing a book signing, and this very matronly lady came up to the table and she said, Mr. McGarity, I have a bone to pick with you about your latest book. 
And I said, well, what is it, ma'am? And she said, in your story, you said Alan McGordo was tacky. And this little cowboy, old cowboy in his pressed jeans and his white shirt and his cowboy hat was standing next to her and he looked up at her and he said, well, ma'am, I've lived here all my life and it is tacky. (laughs) (laughs) You know. I mean, I just have to run the risk of, of uh, putting up with whatever grief I'm going to get from people who uh, aren't happy with my uh, uh, ruminations on hot springs and future consequences in New Mexico. Well, it, and I'm going to share those with, because there's just a sentence in each one that, it, it, that jumped out at me when I was reading the book. And, and before the television show the, renamed the town, uh, when you're writing about hot springs in, in, this, in this book, you say the town remained devoid of charm to the point that it rarely made a favorable impression on anyone, including the folks who live here. <laughs> and, then, and then after it's become true the consequences, you say it remained an ordinary, provincial, often windblown, dusty cowboy town. So, yeah, I, I would watch out if they have any, they, something that's black and bubbling as you come into the store. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to have to hide, I think, on my, <laughs> on my trip through truth or consequences. But uh, it's all right. I, mean, I, I hope people will see the good nature, naturedness behind my, uh, my commentary. I hope they don't uh, take too great offense. Oh, I, I, I hope not. Um, one of the things that, that also, again, I, I'm popping all over the place because it, there's so much, so much richness in this. And you talked about the strong women characters. Even the ones who were only there for a short time make a huge impression. And uh, writing as a guy about women's stuff, eh, doesn't always happen that way. Well, you know, uh, I don't know whether I'm following you completely on this, but it's. But uh, let me respond by saying that even, even the, the, the smallest character... Uh, or the slightest detail, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it needs to ring true. It, it, it can't be something that you gloss over. Uh, I'm, I'm, I usually don't read on, on book tour. I usually just talk. Uh, but a couple of years ago, when Backlands came out in trade paper, I did a signing here in Santa Fe, and I, I tried something. I did an experiment, and I... I said this to the audience, I said, most authors, when they want to read an excerpt from their book, uh, they'll give you a lengthy uh, uh, background sketch uh, uh, to bring you up to date on what they're going to read so that you have some understanding of, of where the story is going, or they'll just read from the start, they'll read from page one. And I said, I'm not going to do that. I figure... Uh, everything that I've put into this book, I should be able to, if I've done my job right as a writer, if I've written it well, I I should be able to open it to any page and read a a little excerpt and and have you find it interesting. And I said, but I'm not going to pick the page. I'm going to ask you to pick the page. And you'll pick the page, and I'll open it to that page, and you can... Uh, double check to make sure I'm on the right page, and, and I'll do it. I'll read from there. And oh. you know what? It worked. Uh-huh. It, was, it was a lot of fun to do. So when it comes down to detail, when it comes down to the uh, being able to talk about what grows on the land, uh, when it, talk about the people that walk the land, 
the animals that live on the land, uh, what the sky looks like at different times of day and night. I mean, if, if, if I haven't done my work correctly, it's not going to ring true, and I'm going to get called on it. It's bad enough to get called on some of the errors that sneak through a book, because I've yet to write a perfect one, and I don't know if anybody has, uh, and, and get embarrassed by that. I'll give you an example of, of it. In one, one of my crime novels, I, uh, I had a, a flag flown at half-mast uh, in honor of uh, the death of a, of a character. And an old Navy salt, I'm an army veteran, so what do I know? An old yeah. Navy salt uh, emailed me and said, flags can only be flown at half-mast on a ship. They're flown at half-staff on land. <laughs> and he was right. Yeah. He wow. was absolutely right. So, you know, there, there, there are enough things that you can uh, probably pick over <laughs> in any good tale, but I hope in, in, in my books they're few and far between and that most of it, when you read it, uh, rings true. Oh, true. I need to, to, to throw a couple of things at you and then and let you go because you've been so generous with it, time. but I, w- I wanted to ask, are you a collector of, of, of any particular genre? You know, I'm not. I'm very eclectic uh, in what I read. Uh, I read everything. Uh, Right now, for example, I'm, I'm trying to really get into uh, an a 800-page volume on J. Robert Oppenheimer, okay. uh, because this was an incredibly interesting, uh, incredibly brilliant man. Uh, and, and so I will read uh, biography, I will read uh, autobiography, I will read memoir, I will read history, uh, I will read fiction. Uh, interestingly enough, I don't read a lot of mystery, uh, and I rarely, if ever, read westerns. Uh, but uh, generally, I'm all over the place when it comes to uh, reading whatever. Like I've got uh, Edna O'Brien's uh, new book, The Little Red Chairs on Order. I want to read that next mm. uh, in terms of fiction. Uh, so, no, I'm, I'm not a, a collector of any particular type of, of writing, uh, I do have a nice collection of some firsts uh, in good fiction, and also I have a nice little um, reference library that I, I use frequently uh, in my writing, and the rest is all pure entertainment, whatever catches my eye. Uh, I just finished before Oppenheimer uh, um, a biography on Charles Charles Fletcher Loomis, who was a very highly uh, regarded and well-known character in New Mexico and California. So uh, I'm, I'm waiting for the O'Brien. That'll be the next book, I, fiction book that I dip into. Well, and I should mention that uh, those people who like to collect your work can uh, find signed first editions at VJ Books, our good friends, and uh, that enjoy working with you. And uh, also, I want to cite this piece to you toward the end, and that is, I was reading along, and Mary is talking about the Seven Barquet, and she said, it felt like home in the best sense of the word, and that's how I feel about your writing. So, thank you. Well, thank you for those kind of-
kind words and for this great interview. I'd really appreciate it. And say hi to my friends at, at VJ Books. You know, they've been with me since since Tularosa. So uh, we go back 20 years, and I really appreciate the support and uh, the understanding that they've given me over that over that two decades. It's been great. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, keep writing, okay? Okay. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to Modern Sign Books on Blog Talk Radio with book specialist Roger Nichols. Be sure to check us out at modernsignbooks.blogspot.com.